Hi everyone, this is your host Ramakrishna from Usha Investment Group LLC. Welcome back to Multifamily AP360, the show where we discuss 360 degrees views on mindset, passive and active multifamily investing. For those who are looking for tips, strategies, best and challenging experiences. Also, I request you to share it with those who might benefit and leave a rating and review. Today's our guest is Tom Dunkel from Bellrose. Uh, welcome, Tom. Hello, Rama. Thank you for having me on the show today. Sure. Thank you very much. Would you share a little bit more about yourself, Tom? Sure. Uh, well, I've been uh, an alternative investor full-time since 2006, uh, and that was as a result of uh, getting fired from my corporate job. Uh, I've been in mergers and acquisitions and and corporate finance for a number of years. And I'd always wanted to do something on my own. So that was that was certainly the kick in the pants I needed to, to go out and uh, finally do something on my own. So uh, I got into real estate. Uh, my timing, of course, was horrible because we were right at the beginning of the uh, Great Recession. Uh, so I learned some uh, very difficult lessons very quickly over the next few years, but I was determined to stick it out. So I reinvented myself after the, the crash and started buying pools of distressed residential mortgages. And uh, so have uh, continued to do that uh, to this day. So I've uh, been in that business uh, over 12 years now. And uh, But along the way, have done uh, all kinds of other things in the alternative investment world. Uh, even through my self-directed IRA and otherwise, I've been investing in uh, multifamily passively since 2013. Uh, I've done other private placements, uh, hard money lending, uh, fix and flips, which don't really do much of that anymore. But I uh, have gotten into vacation rentals, Airbnbs as well. Uh, but our major focus these days is uh, at Bellrose Storage Group is uh, self-storage. So uh, we've been acquiring and uh, turning around value-add self-storage facilities for the past few years. And we've, we're really excited about that space. We've uh, pulled together a fantastic team, and uh, we're uh, really excited about the, the prospects in that, in that business. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. What is the reason behind choosing self-storage uh, now? Sure. So uh, there's, a, there's a lot of them. I guess the, the key factors are that it, the demographics. So the demographic trends in the United States, uh, you know, similar to the multifamily world, folks are moving you know, to the South and the Southeast. Uh, so we are uh, looking at facilities in those areas. And uh, when people are moving and the, uh, you know, the people are buying and selling houses or moving from this place to that place, that is, uh, that's a big driver for uh, self-storage customers. Uh, so this uh, industry has really been booming the last few years. Uh, and the other thing we really like about it is it's becoming more and more uh, mainstream. And what I mean by that is uh, historically, maybe five, seven, ten percent of households would be using a self-storage facility. But today, that trend is really increasing, uh, especially as the baby boomers are downsizing and they want to hold on to their heirlooms. And the millennials are less interested in the big McMansion-style houses. They're interested more in, you know, manageable house that will allow them to, you know, travel and do do those kinds of things. So they. 
they now purposely will buy a house or rent an apartment that might not have the storage space because they know that they can just go down the block and and store their kayaks and bikes and Christmas and holiday ornaments uh, in in the uh, in the storage unit and they don't need that space in their actual dwelling. And then lastly, I would say Rama is uh, the space is becoming more institutional. And what I mean by that is for years, self-storage was a little bit of the redheaded stepchild in commercial real estate. It wasn't really getting any attention from any of the, of the financing sources. Uh, you know, Capital was mainly uh, just drummed up from people's personal capital. And there was a lot of seller financing deals because the banks didn't really like uh, the space. But these days, you're seeing these huge Wall Street firms and international sovereign funds uh, are just loving self-storage. And so uh, these days, we're having really good execution on the lending side, and in our in we we do equity syndications when we buy facilities, and uh, our equity syndications fill up really quickly. So I think people are starting now to realize that self storage is is not uh, the redheaded stepchild. In fact, it was the best performing commercial real estate asset class during the pandemic, and. Uh, and we see that over history as well. As the economy goes up and down and up and down, uh, self-storage occupancy remains pretty steady between uh, 85 and 90%. So it's steady, it's cash flowing, uh, it's a hard asset, it's a simple business really. It's metal boxes with concrete floors and roll-up doors. It's not a, it's not a super complicated concept. So uh, we, we're really enjoying it. We, our investors are enjoying it as well. And uh, again, we're just super excited about the space. Yeah, thank you. There are a couple of follow-up points. How lending changed yeah, from in self-story space and what kind of uh, LTVs you're, you're getting right now? Sure. Uh, well, uh, at the time of this uh, recording, we're sitting in you know kind of early April and just in the last couple of months, uh, interest rates have bumped up about 100 basis points. Um, we were um, anticipating that, of course. So, in our underwriting, you know, we've been we've been anticipating higher interest rates, higher exit uh, um, cap rates. So, um, and and maybe even lower LTVs, and and so the thing, the banks are definitely getting uh, getting tighter. Uh, we were uh, a year ago, we were getting rates in the mid to high threes. And then now our deal that we're closing early next month, uh, our rate on that is 4.38 or somewhere in there. So it's starting to inch up. And now I'm already hearing rumbles about uh, rates going to five on these kinds of projects. LTVs, uh, there's some sensitivity there as well as far as you know, what's happening in the, in the world. Uh, so we got initial feedback from a, a lender on a deal we did recently where they were only going to lend 65% uh, loan to value. Uh, we were able to show our track record and convince them to go up to 75% loan to value. So we were excited about that, but I would anticipate going forward that you know, we're, we're certainly modeling uh, very conservatively uh, higher interest rates, lower LTVs, you know, probably in the 65, 70% range, depending on the property. Uh, and certainly uh, higher exit uh, cap rates uh, because of inflation and, and the rate bumps that we're seeing. Oh, got it. So what kind of exit cap rates you're assuming? 
I, it's it's uh, really depends on the market, Rama, but I would say uh, we're generally in the 7% or so, uh, give or take a half a point uh, cap rate on our exit assumptions. Uh, and just to be clear about that, we're, we're a turnaround shop. So we, we buy existing facilities that are poorly managed and we get in there and we, we turn the business around, increase the net operating income and therefore the value. And it really only takes us typically a year, maybe 18 months to really do that. Uh, but we model for, you know, a two to three year exit. If we were, if we were doing longer term projects, I would even bump up my exit cap rate uh, more uh, because it seems like, you know, we're, we're in an environment here where uh, interest rates and I, and I think cap rates, you know, they're fairly well correlated over time. I think they're going to all be trending upwards. So again, to be conservative, we're, uh, we're looking at you know, seven, give or take, on the exit cap rate. Got it. So, uh, are you getting agency or bridge loans? No, we're no, we're getting conventional loans, not bridge loans. Uh, the so the the loans that we're getting have terms of uh, five years, typically, uh, with extensions on a twenty-five uh, year amortization. Okay, got it. Uh, is then step down uh, or like you know penalties? It depends. So. Uh, for credit unions, they actually um, they don't have prepayment penalties. Uh, we we seem to see credit unions a lot when we're shopping uh, for our debt. Um, they don't have prepayment penalties unless you refinance the property with another lender. <laughs> so once you're with them, they like you to stick with them. Uh, but we are looking at a project now in Alabama where we are looking at SBA loans. The SBA 504 loan uh, is a nice loan for self-storage when there's uh, expansion uh, or new construction. It's something to consider. So, But that loan for sure has big uh, prepayment penalties. Uh, we saw one lender that for the first five years of the loan, there was a 5% uh, prepayment penalty. And then it finally dropped down you know, four, three, two, one in those last years of the term. It's a 10, 10 year uh, term. So, uh, but yeah, typically we're not looking for that, uh, especially because of our strategy. We're typically in and out of these facilities in around two years. So we, we certainly are look we're sensitive to the prepayment penalties. We can really try to avoid them. And so far we have been able to. Got it. Yeah. Thanks for that information helps. And you mentioned you're acquiring poorly managed assets. So share me about your you know, acquisition process. How do you identify these uh, poorly, say, uh, poorly managed properties and what kind of business plan you are implementing on, on those units? Uh, sure, Rama. We, uh, yeah, we're, we have a great team and we are really strong on the front end in terms of generating the leads uh, for ourselves to find these facilities. So my partner, Tim Kane, came from the residential wholesaling world. And so he's an expert at reaching out to uh, property owners. And so we use virtual assistants to blanket our areas of interest geographically uh, with uh, phone calls and mailers. And if we're in, if we happen to be in the area, we're even stopping by the facilities. So we're, we're doing uh, thousands of calls per month to these facilities. Uh, and we're not the only ones, unfortunately, but I think what differentiates us is uh, we're not a, a huge shop. Uh, you know, if you go to the, uh, if you go to some of the uh, 
industry uh, conventions for self-storage. You'll, you'll have the big players up on stage talking about how they'll have you know, 20 deals in the, uh, under contract at any given point in time. <laughs> and uh, we don't. We might have two or three. Um, and so that gives us the ability to really make that personal connection uh, with the seller. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of our sellers are moms and pops that are not interested in working with the big brokerage firms. Um, and so we just get in there and we ask them about their business and we're not overly aggressive. And we, uh, you know, we just let them know that we care about them and their business. And, uh, and we just hope we can help somehow. If that means buying the facility, uh, great. We'll certainly pay a fair price. Um, but if, if they're not ready to sell, we'll just share our experience and uh, just keep in touch with them. So I think we're really strong on that end. But what happens a lot is with these uh, uh, mom and pop owned facilities, Rama is they, uh, they're not really run uh, like businesses. I think a lot of these, uh, a lot of our sellers tell us that, you know, they just had some extra land and they thought they'd put up a few units and then those units filled up and they expanded and added more and continued that process till now they have, you know, 400 units and they have a facility that you know is worth several million dollars and they just didn't really realize it but what they're doing is they're not really analyzing the market like we do they're not analyzing the competitors they're not analyzing the the street rental rates um, and so they're just happy to be getting their their mailbox money uh, every month uh, the, the checks come in um, and their units are full, so they don't have to go out and market the facility. They don't have to do SEO and SEM, and you know, put feather flags out on the on the street, or maybe that maybe they do that, but that's about it. Um, and some of these folks, they don't use software. Um, so a lot of times, we'll get in there, and they'll say, "Well, you know, I've owned this facility for a while, and I built it myself, and I know all the customers, and I haven't raised rates in five years," and that's that's like music to our ears uh, because a lot of the facilities we buy, especially now with uh, the inflationary pressures we're seeing. I mean, we in our in our portfolio we raised rates twenty two percent last year. <laughs> so, uh, so when we hear that a, a seller hasn't raised rates in five years, ten years, and they and they're also weak on uh, recovering delinquencies, um, so they're just not running it like a business. So we're able to go in and really quickly. Uh, we, we're aggressive on our rate raises. It's not uncommon for us in our transition process. Once we take over the facility within that first month, we, we might raise rates 20% um, and then continue to raise them over time uh, just to get them up to market. Uh, and so uh, that's really, there's not a lot of magic to what we do. It's just, uh, it's just doing the work to analyze the market and then just, uh, just make it happen. And that's, uh, it's really not rocket science by any means. We're, we're raising rates, we're collecting delinquencies, we're doing CapEx things to make the property look nicer, um, but it's, it's really not doing anything too incredible, <laughs> but we get the results. So our investors are very happy. Got it. So what kind of renovations you are doing? So what are the typical timeline or typical budget for, uh, for your uh, assets? Sure. On uh, let's let's say like a, a thirty thousand square foot facility, which is kind of a small to medium sized facility, um, we'll typically go in budgeting uh, anywhere from seventy five to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars of of capex, and 
um, a facility that we're about to acquire uh, is a little bit of an exception because it, it because it does it has a retaining wall that's failing. So we're gonna have to we're gonna have to take care of that. Um, but you know, generally, a self storage facility, unlike a multifamily building or residential building, uh, it, it's there's not really uh, much of a curb appeal factor. There's a there's a little bit of one. But uh, again, these are metal boxes with cement floors and roll-up doors, so uh, people aren't really looking for them to be super gorgeous properties. Uh, but we'll typically you know, redo the signage. Uh, one thing we definitely do for security purposes is we add uh, security cameras if they're not already there, because uh, actually security cameras are more of a deterrent to uh, ruffians coming into the property than, than gates and fences. So. Uh, so we definitely uh, put those in place. Uh, we do make sure the gates and fences are, are operational and, and uh, in good repair. Uh, if, it's, uh, if it's an asphalt dry vial facility, uh, we'll patch uh, those, those places. We typically are not uh, doing a complete repave job because um, these facilities, they don't get a ton of traffic, uh, as you might imagine. It's just folks dropping in from time to time on their units. Um, and then other things we do, uh, lighting is another big one. Um, and then uh, just the, the maintenance of the doors and latches and those kinds of things. Um, you asked about timelines. Uh, we're, we have a project, uh, we have a facility um, in Virginia that we've been working on. And uh, it's certainly been a learning experience as far as how to handle the supply chain issues that we're seeing right now. Um, our, our budget, you know, we typically would go into a project like that, maybe with a 10% contingency budget. Uh, but now we're going into these projects with a 35 to 50% contingency budget, just because we don't want to get caught later, uh, with not having enough money or having, uh, over promised and under delivered to our investors. That's, that's a huge no, no with our company. We are definitely, under promise and over deliver guys. So, but we've definitely had our challenges there. We were supposed to have a shovel in the ground on February the 4th and here it is early April and we're still, still waiting on things. So that's definitely been a, a bit of a challenge. And, and I don't, I haven't seen or heard any uh, relief from that until maybe late next year. I don't know if you've heard anything different, but that's what I've been hearing. Got it. Yeah. So would you, would you share any challenging experience in self-storage space? Uh, sure. Um, I'd have to say this, the project I was just mentioning has been our, has been our biggest challenge. Uh, as I mentioned uh, a few times, our, our core strategy is buying existing facilities and turning them around. Um, in a couple of instances, we've had we've acquired facilities that had extra property, and we thought, hey, you know, we'll add some more units, uh, we'll get more revenue, but our expenses won't really go up too much. So it should be an accretive situation for our net operating income. And the value of the property, but yeah, we've we've run into challenges on this Virginia project for sure. Uh, like I said, we were we were supposed to have a shovel in the ground in, in February, early February, uh, but we ran into issues with getting uh, grading um, quotes. So we our contractor put out, I think they said uh, about thirty requests for a quote uh, just to get the project started with the, the grading and leveling of the property. And out of the 30, I think they received maybe five, I'm sure I'll get the numbers wrong, but you'll get the idea. 
they said they got about five calls for people just saying, you know, we're not even going to bid on this because we're so busy. And they got another couple of calls saying, hey, we'll bid on this. But just so you know, we're booking business for early 2023. (laughs) And then we had, I think, two quotes come in from companies who could do the work sooner, but those prices were a lot higher than what was expected. And then, you know, you add to that just the increasing cost of steel. And then we ran into some challenges with the municipality because as we were value engineering that project, trying to save some money here and there, uh, we kept having to go back and forth with, with the city to get approvals on things. So, you know, that's, that's always uh, just a, a slow process. So, you know, here we are uh, over 60 days late getting started. And uh, honestly, I'm not even sure if we'll be starting in the next 30 days, <laughs> given the challenges that, that we've been facing. Got it. What is your current focus and share something you're excited about now, Tom? Sure. Well, as, yeah, as I mentioned, uh, we're, our, me and my team, uh, we've uh, got a great team around me, so I'm super excited about that. Uh, and even though we're, we are seeing some challenging times and some, and some different pressures from different places on the self-storage industry, uh, we, we remain uh, very bullish on the self-storage industry. Uh, we are um, con- just going to continue doing what we've been doing well, uh, which is making direct contact with sellers. Uh, getting a, a, a rapport going with them, creating a relationship, helping them uh, solve their problems, um, and hopefully you know, buy some facilities where we can uh, do our you know, value-add uh, strategies, uh, just raising the rates and, and uh, running it like a real business. Those are really the key things, Rama. I, I guess we continue to see uh, markets in the South and the Southeast where the uh, the population's growing, jobs are coming in, uh, big investment dollars are coming in. Uh, I mentioned uh, earlier the project in Alabama. There's a huge water park going in in this market. Um, and uh, there's a, a military base nearby that just got a huge contract. And so we, we, we're just excited about uh, these different niches. And, and I know, like I said, we're heading towards some maybe challenging times, but uh, you know, I've, I've been around for a while now, and I know that with the right team and the right discipline, you can always find deals, uh, even, in a, even in a tough market. So we're just going to keep our heads down and keep working. Yeah, I, I totally agree on that. Like the right team and right discipline, we, we can you know find deals in any tough times. Yep. Yep, for sure. And, uh, any books that impacted your life? Sure. Uh, well, my favorite book of all time is, uh, is not a business book. Uh, it's actually an adventure book uh, called The Last Place on Earth. And it's a story about uh, at, the, at the turn of the, the century, in the early 1900s, um, there was the last place on the planet that had not been explored was the South Pole. And so there were basically two teams vying to, to get there first. And uh, you, had the, you had the very wealthy, uh, arrogant uh, British team with the British naval officers. And then you had kind of this ragtag uh, group of Norwegian hippies um, who were the other team. And uh, it's just an outstanding story. Uh, I think it has nothing to do with business, but it has everything to do with business because 
like we mentioned a second ago, Rama, you know, the, the, uh, the Norwegians put together a great team. Um, they had a great plan. They were diligent and disciplined. I know I'm kind of giving away the story, but those guys outperformed the very well-financed and uh, haughty uh, British team. So it was, uh, it was just a fun story, but I think there are many, many uh, leadership and business parallels in there. So I would, I would recommend The Last Place on Earth uh, for anybody out there. And then a recent uh, business book that I read, uh, again, kind of goes with the theme of what I was just talking about, which is team. Um, is called Who Not How, and uh, it, it's a different way to look at business problems. You know, typically with a business problem, you're saying, "Well, geez, you know, how can I do this? How can I fix this? How can I do better with this?" Instead, folks should be asking, "Who can help me with this? Uh, who's better at this than I am? Uh, who has experience in this particular space that can help me solve this problem?" So. We've actually implemented that uh, this thought process in our business, and it, and it really uh, it really has helped us uh, tremendously because uh, there are people out there smarter than you in in, in different places, different areas, uh, different specialties, and they can be they can help you accelerate your business um, so that you're not trying to reinvent the wheel uh, every time you run into a business problem. Yeah, sure. Yeah, great book. Who not how? How can listeners can connect with you, Tom? Sure. Yeah, I'd love to hear from the listeners. Uh, our website is www.bellrosestoragegroup.com. And I'd invite listeners to, to visit our website. Uh, we, do, we have a, a giveaway there, uh, which is our uh, SAFE investing program. Uh, SAFE is an acronym, S-A-F-E. Uh, it stands for Sponsor, Asset, Financials, and Exit. And what it does, it, it provides alternative investors with a framework to look at any, any deal, any opportunity and do their proper due diligence. Because uh, it can be very daunting, especially uh, for folks who are you know, nine to fivers or they're, you know, they're high achievers in, the, in their own uh, business, but maybe they don't have time really to, to look into uh, you know, buying a self-storage facility or an apartment building or uh, that kind of thing themselves. Uh, so it gives them the, op- the opportunity to evaluate these opportunities that they can participate in passively. And uh, so it's a, it's a resource that I developed uh, through trial and error and the mistakes that I've made uh, over my uh, you know, 16-year career in alternative investing. Uh, so I just put it out there to, to share with other folks uh, how, how I look at uh, alternative investments. And then, of course, uh, also on our website, uh, you can find my contact information and, and you can uh, listeners can sign up for our investment portal uh, so they can gain access to uh, our self-storage investment opportunities. Great. Uh, thank you, Tom. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation and thanks for adding value to the show. Thank you, Rama. It was great being with you. Sure. Thanks for listening to Multifamily AP360. Check out the show notes and grab the freebie on our website, ushacapital.com. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with those who might benefit and leave a rating and review. Follow me on my social media. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next time.